0: Hello, welcome to the Get Together podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Anna Zugheri. I am your host and an ambassador of the Get Together, an open network of business people who collaborate by using their business expertise, resources, and networks to meet significant needs of local christ Center nonprofits, all while encouraging each other in business and in life. The Get Together podcast is an extension of the valuable contribution from our featured keynote speakers. The wealth of knowledge and expertise shared by our guests during our luncheons is truly exceptional, making it highly worthwhile to listen, share, and make notes. In this episode, we have the privilege of hearing from Reverend Richard Harris, senior pastor of the Christ Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas. Reverend Harris offers profound insights into the significance of approaching our professional endeavors and roles within a company through a Biblical lens. Prepare to be inspired and enriched by his wisdom. Tune in and allow yourself to be blessed by this remarkable conversation. It's
1: a great joy to be here with you guys. and. I know that I'm adjusting my watch because I know that we only have about three or four hours together. So, um, so let me let me dive in, and we'll do this by asking you a question. And perhaps it's a question that you've never been asked before, at least phrased yeah. this way: Do you want to be a useful Christian? Now, my, my guess is that even even the, looking at your faces, that that that, that, that useful is you know, is perhaps not really the, the the adjective you've ever really considered. When you're evaluating in your, your life and your priorities and your business. But do you want to be a useful Christian? And I imagine if you're at a lunch like this one, then you, know, you, you want to be the, the best and the greatest and the most useful Christian you can be in in God's kingdom. In, in your church, in your career, in your calling, in your ministry endeavors, and your friendships, in your family, and in, in, in life in general. Well, in, in both the Gospels of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater. And so, so thinking about greatness, and I, I'm, I'm adjusting it to, to usefulness for us in the kingdom for God's glory. I want us to look at a, a passage in John 3 towards the end. It's John 3, verses 22 to 30. And uh, this passage lets us in on some of the secrets of, of John the Baptist's greatness. Okay, so let's, we'll try to move through this quickly. So if you, if you have a Bible or if you have your phone, it'll be helpful if you, if you have it open to John 3. And I'll, I'll begin looking at verse 22. So in verse 22, we read, After this. So after this is what happened earlier in John 3, which is Jesus' nighttime conversation with Nicodemus, mm-hmm. right, about you must be born again. You know, after this, it's right after John three sixteen. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So... The, the setting is, is that Jesus and a group of his disciples were baptizing folks. And not too far away, John the Baptist and some of his disciples were baptizing folks. Then we read in verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now a discussion. The, the Greek text, the word translated discussion actually means something more like a debate or a controversy controversial discussion Now this debate or this discussion it appears that it you know was about the, the many different Jewish purification rites and rituals possible that this this d- debate this controversial debate was about how John's baptism was similar and different from these purification rites it's also possible that this discussion bled over into something along the lines of Comparing and contrasting <coughs> Jesus' baptism with John the Baptist's baptism. Because that's the context. Jesus over here doing this, John the Baptist over here. And perhaps even, the as we read further, perhaps even this debate was about who's his superior. So look at the next verse. Look at verse 26. And they, some of John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you, they're talking about Jesus, but notice they don't say his name. Mm-hmm. He who was with you across the Jordan, you know, that guy, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Okay, now think about this. This is John 3 and John 1, and, and the other Gospels were told that, you know, John the Baptist uh, had, had, had quite the ministry. I mean, he was drawing large crowds. You know, the gospel accounts tell us that multitudes of people went out to hear John the Baptist preach. Multitudes from Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan. I mean, John the Baptist's ministry was, was a success. He was making an impact in the whole region. Okay, but look again at verse 26. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. You know, the, the Greek text indicates that this language here is fairly emphatic. You know, that John's disciples are, are fired up in some ways. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, they, I mean, notice, I mean, they came to bring themselves to say Jesus' name. I mean, there's, you know, Rabbi, you know, that, that, that guy, you know, that, that guy who, who, you, who was with you across the Jordan, you know, that, that guy to whom you bore witness. You know, that guy who, who got his start because you told everyone, you know, pay attention to him. You know, with that whole, you know, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. spill, remember that guy? Look at what that guy's doing now. He's baptizing. And John, that's, that's like your deal. I mean, you're, you're the baptizer. That's, what, that's like your only thing. But everybody, it says all are going to him. Now, I can imagine these disciples are almost hyperventilating as they work themselves up and they're exaggerating about how everyone, how all are going over to Jesus. But, but don't we get the point? I mean, see, it's funny, but it's also incredibly believable, isn't it? I mean, isn't this what we do? I mean, don't we know what it feels like uh, to be gripped by envy and jealousy? You know, Pastor Kent Hughes says, no matter who we are, no matter how much success we are having, sooner or later, our lives, our ministries, our businesses, our careers will be eclipsed. The most successful, competent, or famous will one day be asked to take a lesser role, to step aside, to retire. And we all need to know how to react at such a time. Okay, Thelma. So How does John respond to his disciples? Everybody's going over to him to be baptized. How John responds tells us at least three insights into his greatness. Okay, I'm going to to word these in the form of questions for us to ask ourselves as we evaluate. Okay? Number one, do I know it is all from God? All that I have. All my opportunities. All of my successes, my intelligence, my creativity, the open doors, my opportunities, even my work ethic. Do I know that it's all from God? Look look at verse 27. John answered in response to everybody's going to Jesus. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Mm -hmm. See, whenever we forget that a person cannot receive even one thing unless our sovereign God, who is in control of everything, gives it to us, then we can fall into the devastating trap. And it's a devastating trap of envy. See, you know, envy only asks one question. You know what that question is? What about me? What about me? You know, why why do they... You know, have all the beauty and all the talent, all the opportunities, all the success, all the customers, all the market share, all the ministry success, all the people, all the wealth, all the power, all the world's love, all of these gifts. Or at any rate, why do they have more of it than I do? You know, why not me? Now, have you ever realized that no one envies all other people of all things? Okay, so we only envy certain people, certain things. Okay, you know, whenever I read about, I'm a big football fan, but whenever I read about, you know, a quarterback getting the, the, the most, you know, the, the latest, greatest, you know, outrageous contract, I'm never, ever envious. I'm never tempted to be envious of that man and his money. Whenever I'm tempted to be envious, I tend to envy, other senior pastors of churches that are about my size here in Houston. (laughs) You see, envy is felt the strongest between near equals. Mm. We tend to envy people whose situation seems to be only slightly better than ours. Mm. People like our competitors. Mm. People like our co-workers. People like our neighbors, our family members, people like our friends. And why? Because comparison fuels envy, and we compare ourselves the most with people who have just a little bit more than we do. Who have just a little bit better than we do. But John did not envy Jesus. He wasn't in competition with Jesus. Well, why not? Again, verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. As I've heard it put, the best antidote to envy is the conviction of the sovereignty of God. Yeah. It's realizing that the places, the successes, even the failures of our employments, of our opportunities, are under the sovereignty of our all-wise God, our, all, our absolutely good God. It's, in, it's incredibly comforting to know that what one has, has been given or has not been given is traceable not only to our abilities, but even more to the providence of God. And John the Baptist knew this. He knew it was all from God. So paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, God gives us all different parts to play in his story. When we all understand it's all from God, then we can play great parts without pride and we can play small parts without shame to the glory of God and for the good of others. Do I know it's all from God? Second, do I know my place? Verse 28, John says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. Many of us need to learn how to be able to say that. (laughs) I am not the Christ. (laughs) But I have been sent before him. See, John understood his role. He's not the Christ. He knew his place. His place was to point people to the Christ. That John knew he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. That John knew that he was the one to shout, Behold, behold him, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. That John had the self-awareness and the God-awareness to know and to embrace his calling. And God has given each and every one of us a vocation, a business, a ministry, a family, (laughs) a church to be a part of and in which to play a role. And so do you know your God-given calling? Hmm. I hope you do, and I hope you'll you'll take what God's given you and you'll work it out for His glory, that you'll be as faithful as you can possibly be. But if only I could convince you to not waste your life always looking for some other role. Hmm. Always wishing that things were different always wishing that, that you had this or you had that, thinking thinking that, okay, I will finally start making a difference whenever I have this position or whenever I have that position. Now, I mean, it doesn't mean that you stop striving for excellence, not at all, but it does mean that we finally understand and we embrace okay, who we are striving and working for. Hmm. And when we do that, it makes us humble, and it gives us freedom and joy. Hmm. And so listen to what... What what John says about his own joy, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Okay, so just to try to help make, make sense of this verse. John says there's a difference between being the groom and being the friend of the groom. Okay, there's a difference. There's a very clear and important distinction between being the groom and the friend of the groom, right? The groom has the bride. John is saying that's Jesus. John says about himself, I'm merely the friend of the bridegroom, which is essentially the best man in our weddings today, right? And it's an honor to be the best man. But for all the importance and all the honor of being that role of being the best man, the best man is not the groom. The best man has a different role. And the best man is not to compete with the groom. Right? I mean, the best man... I mean, I I do a lot of weddings, okay? I don't know how many weddings you've done to do a lot of weddings. The the best man is not supposed to make any vows in the wedding. (laughs) All right? The the best man is not supposed to kiss the bride. Right? The best man's not supposed to cut in on that first, first dance. Right? Throughout the Bible, the people of God are referred to as God's bride. In Ephesians 5, we see church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. Like John, not one of us is the groom. That's Jesus' role. You know, this church, this church can't be about me. I can't be the center stage. And your church, your ministry, your business can't ultimately be about you either. That we have to all know our place. We have to all know our spot, our role in the bridal party. You see, in our various God-given gifts, roles, ministries, we're not the Christ. You know, but we're not the groom. That our gifts, our roles, our ministries should only exist to bring people together with Jesus the groom. And then we're able to rejoice, to join John in rejoicing with joy. And so, do I know that it's all from God? Do I know my place? Here's the last thing. Do I have the right goal for my life? Am I aiming at the right target? Look at verse 30. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that's, you don't need me to tell you what that means, but I'm going to tell you what it means. (laughs) Is the glory of God the goal of your life? You see, we know what this, we, read, we, we know what every one of these words mean. He must increase, but I must decrease. And yet I fear that too many of us, we read that verse, we would like to tweak it a little bit and say, well, hey, if I increase, then Jesus will increase too, right? We, we want to say, you know, hey, let's work out a little deal here, a little win-win scenario, right? Well, you know, you bless me and I'll give you the credit. Right? I mean, can not I increase too? Can't, can't God get glory as, as I increase in glory and success and power and fame and wealth and influence? Now, I hope you'll be as successful as you can possibly be. But among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And what he says is that the goal of his life and his ministry and his endeavors was he must increase. And I must decrease. See, so, so what if instead of thinking yourself, thinking of yourself as someone who will be the next CEO, the next head of your organization, the next partner, the next senior, whatever, or the person who will get their name in the paper, and praise God if all of that happens, but what if, that, what if we, instead of just thinking only about that, what if we really didn't know that it was all from God? What if we really didn't know and remember who we are? And what if we really did make the goal of our life being that he must increase and I must decrease? I mean, what, 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 how about being someone who's going to serve and almost disappear off the scene? Right? And the more success you have, and the more influence you have, the higher profile your position becomes, you know, then the more intentional this effort in your life must be. And the more thoughtful, and the more nuanced, and the more deliberate it must be. So so I don't know if you knew this or not, but during the time of the Great Awakening, which is probably one of the reasons why God orchestrated the Great Awakening happening at that time. But arguably the greatest American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, and arguably the greatest American preacher, evangelist George Whitfield, lived at the same time. Okay? George Whitefield gathered crowds by the thousands, led, led, led tens of thousands of people to Christ. But, but it said that in colonial times, people would walk for days to hear him preach. That, that simply, that whenever he said the word Mesopotamia, the crowds just burst into tears, just weeping. Such a gifted orator. Here, here's what he said regarding his aim in life. Let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me if by that means the cause of the blessed jesus may be promoted right he must increase but i must decrease right Winfield wanted that but you know but what about you what about us i mean there should be a a sweet agony in a christian's life as we desire to diminish as we are overcome by jesus greatness and glory you know and, and god may give you great success and i hope that he does But what will be the goal of your life? If it's going to be the right goal, then you're going to have to know that it's all from God. You're going to have to know who you are. And you're going to have to embrace what John the Baptist did in verse 30, that he must increase, I must decrease. One last quote, commenting on John 3, verse 30. John Calvin said, In the meantime, he, John the Baptist, declares he will most willingly endure to be reduced to nothing... Provided that Christ occupied and filled the whole world with his rays. And this zeal of John, he says all pastors of the church, if I want to add, all Christians, most especially Christian business people, ought to imitate by stooping with the head and shoulders to elevate Christ. Right? I mean, what a vision for our life. Right? Stooping with the head and shoulders to elevate Christ. And your business in your church, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our city, in your calling. He must increase, I must decrease. Amen.
0: You can learn more about Reverend Harris at cpchouston.org. Christ Presbyterian Church is located in Houston, Texas and offers live stream and two worship services on Sundays. If you want to join us in person at the get together and experience what it's all about you can send a message using the code podcast to receive a link to register for the upcoming luncheon. Or you can visit thegettogether.org for more information. We would love to see you there. Thank you for listening and until the next time.